good to see everybody. We figured a few more of you would be out of town than what's in town, but we're glad to see everybody. So stay tuned to the website for maybe another time change adjustment. We know you all love those. Everybody came in this morning, look at their watch, going, what, what, what time, you know, we get going? But that's all right. Today we conclude our series entitled Psalms in the Key of Life. We've looked at life through the rich texture of the Psalms, through the songs of prophets, kings, and artists. Musicians who had a unique way of capturing life and truth in a song. Their perceptions about life is stirring, moving, and real, and they sang about the stuff of life that really matters. Eternal things. Things that will change your perspective. You know, perspective is really a a big part of us and who we are. It seems that at an early age we get this whole perception thing out of whack. I read uh, an article online from New Science Magazine about some children's perspectives about scientific matters. And I thought, you know, since our kids are out of school and our teenagers are out of school, might throw a little school stuff in here. There's three kinds, and these are all from children, all right? <laughs> and maybe some adults here as well, I'm not sure. But three, there's three kinds of blood vessels, arteries, veins, and caterpillars. Perspe- perspective. Hydrogen... Or water is composed of two gins, oxygen and hydrogen. Oxygen is pure gin, hydrogen is gin and water. Blood flows down one leg and up the other. There you go. Think that through. I'm not sure quite how that works. Rhubarb. By the way, how many of you people love rhubarb? Everybody from eastern Kentucky. Amen. There you go. Rhubarb is kind of a celery gone bloodshot. I kind of like that one. (laughs) Before giving a blood transfusion, and by the way, we do have a blood drive here, January the 30th. Patty Claypool is spearheading that up up again for us. You'll hear more about that in the weeks to come, January 30th. But before giving a blood transfusion, find out if the blood is affirmative or negative. There you go. This one is pretty insightful. To keep milk from turning sour, keep it in the cow. There you go. That'll work. And then to collect fumes, you got to think this one through. All right? I know it's the holidays. We're all a little out of sync, but you got to think this through. It, it is, it's cute. To collect fumes of sulfur, hold a deacon over a flame in a test tube. Beaker, deacon. All right, there you go. See, how we perceive something doesn't change the reality of the something, but it binds us emotionally to the reality for us. Whether it's real or not, we feel it to be so, and it becomes so. A child's perception of reality is often much different than ours, but adults, let's face it, we can get mixed up too, can't we? Our perception can get skewed too, can't it? And and we can get mixed up, and it's easy for us to get out of touch for what's real. And when we lose our perspective of reality, we can say and do some crazy things. And our perception of reality will always affect our response to reality. And I wonder if some of you may have lost some spiritual equilibrium this year as a result of some faulty perceptions. See, here's reality, and amen if you believe this to be true. Life is not fair. Here's perception. Non-believers seem to experience more blessings than believers do. Now, you didn't want to amen, or you didn't amen there, but didn't you kind of want to? 
You're going to go, nobody else did. I can't say nothing. Sometimes we kind of feel that way, don't we? That here we are, we're trying to do right. We're trying to live right. Play by, quote, the rules. Love our kids. Love our wives. Do the right thing in the sight of God. And then there's guys out there. We won't mention any names, but Tiger Woods and... I mean, you could just go on and on down the list. And it just doesn't seem fair, does it? Asaph had the same problem. Oh, it was a thousand or so years back. But the emotional is still the same. Because when life isn't fair and we hear that God is good, sometimes it's hard to reconcile the two, isn't it? Because doesn't it make sense that if God is good, he would be good to those that love him and and he would just beat the bejeebies out of those who don't. Amen? I mean, honestly, wouldn't you like God just to zap some folks off the face of the earth? You can go ahead and amen. It's just us in here today. I know some of your husbands have been off work for four days and you're ready to zap them too, aren't you, ladies? Kids, we're ready for school to start. You know, it's just that whole thing. Turn to Psalm 73. The psalm was written by a name, man named Aspha. Probably don't read much about him, but he was a godly man. He was the chief choir leader, worship leader for King David in the, in the temple. And, and next to the high priest, he was the one who led the choirs and the singers and the instrumentists. He was a gifted man. He wrote 12 psalms in the book of Psalms. He wrote, or he is believed to be, the book of Psalms is broken down into five kind of hymnals or individual books. He's believed to be the compiler of the third book. The book of Chronicles calls him a seer, which means he's a prophet. He's a very talented, gifted, godly man. He has four sons, and I'm sure he had more, but four of his sons in fall in line and become choir directors and worship leaders for the nation of Israel. This guy's not chump change. I mean, he's a committed believer. He believes in Jehovah. He believes in a coming deliverer. He believes in everything that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would come true in fulfillment through Israel. I mean, this was a, this in Israel's day, in David's day, in Psalm 73 day, I mean, this was a, was a giant spiritually. But man... He struggles with some of the stuff you and I do. You see, Asaph makes this psalm very personal. It's filled with gut-wrenching honesty. And Asaph asked the question that many of us ask one time or another, if God is supposed to bless believers, why do we struggle with health? Why do we struggle with finances? Why do we have relational turmoil? Why unbelievers seem to enjoy prosperity and just kind of skip through life like nothing's the matter? Or we could ask it this way. Why are the wicked successful? And why do the righteous suffer? Asaph begins with an introduction. It's a tremendous summary statement, but it's also a statement of deep theological truth wrapped up in verse 1. And he says this. Surely God is good to Israel. Surely God is good to Israel. To those who are pure of heart. He's stating the universal premise for the believers that God is good. 
And the word surely that you see up there, it means yet. It also carries the idea of exclusivity. So you can translate this verse in the following manner. No matter what happens, God and God alone is good. We would all say amen to that. There is not a person in here who would, I think, struggle to believe that, yes, God and God alone is good. But then you hear his heart. It's also the crux of Apha's problem. Psalm 84, verse 11, reinforces this dilemma, which says, No good things does he, God, withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. If God is good, shouldn't we receive more good things in our life? And boy, we all want to go, yes! Right? And shouldn't we at least have more blessings than those who don't even care about God? And after starting with what he ultimately knows is true, Aphid looks around from the human perspective and wonders what in the world is going on here. Look at verse 2. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. In verse 2, he admits that he had almost slipped. The verse stands in stark contrast to the certainty that God is good in verse 1. And Asaph is saying, you know, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. God, I know you might be good, but I almost bailed on you. Because what my mind and what my eyes see and what I know to be true, what I perceive and what I know to be true, doesn't kind of click all the time. And I have trouble reconciling the two. And Asaph, this worship leader, this this man who walked with God, this seer, this prophet, this tremendous father, this man all of a sudden started shifting his focus, and it was no longer on the world, but man, it it wasn't on God anymore, but it was on everybody who had everything, those who were living the good life. You see, Aphis came close to losing his song. Why? He just kept looking at the wrong things. Listen, if you look at the wrong things long enough, you'll either turn into a cynic or a skeptic. If you look at the wrong things long enough, you'll either turn into a cynic or a skeptic. A a skinic. A cynic. (laughs) A skinic. I love making up words. It's great for my Scrabble game. A cynic looks at life in the following message, it's the person who believes that only selfishness motivates human action and they disbelieve or minimize selfless acts. A skeptic is a person who questions the validity of anything and everything. They have this negative, critical view of life. Both are a lonely way to live. And Asma almost went AOL on God. Why? Look at verse 3. He says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He said, for I envied the arrogant, the ungodly, when I saw their prosperity. (laughs) He's saying, listen, the word prosperity, the word arrogant comes from the root word, which means a loud and a clear noise. The idea is a proud person is one who toots their own horn really loud. It's also used like the brain of a donkey. And notice that Asaph is not upset with the arrogant or the wicked. He's jealous of them. He's envious of them. 
He has looked so long at them that he wants what they have. And there's a twofold problem here with Asaph. The first problem is, is as he's looking at them and he doesn't understand why God's blessing them, but he also doesn't like what's happening in his own heart. It wasn't where he was looking that was causing him to slip. It was the attitude of his, of his heart that caused him to almost slip. Almost desiring what they had instead of what God was going to bless him with. A relationship with them instead of a relationship with God, being discontent with God, but content with them. And Asa perception was just all askewed. And he had almost lost his song. He wants what they have, but it actually goes much deeper. You see the word prosperity there in verse 3? The word prosperity doesn't do justice to the original term. It's the word, you have heard it, shalom. It's the word of peace. It's pregnant with meaning for the Old Testament believers. The root of shalom is, is completion, fulfillment. And it's often used to describe peace and wholeness, harmony, and physical well-being. Asphod doesn't get it. Why would the wicked people have everything that was only promised to God's people? Now, don't you live there sometimes? Well, let's be honest. For a lot of us in this room, it's been a tough year economically. A lot of you in March and April and May didn't know if you were going to have a job in December. And a lot of you had a job in December and you don't have one. Or a lot of you had a job in May and you don't have one in December. And you just kind of go, you kind of pull the oasis of God. Hey, wait a minute here. I'm playing by the rules and... Just listen. They're not playing by any rules. They hopscotch through life carefree with no respect for God, no respect for your truth, no respect for your word, no respect for your coming. Then you get to verse 4 and 5. He wonders why life seems so good. Look at verse 4. And by the way, don't you kind of feel this? And we know this isn't true because everybody struggles. But boy, the perception is, is that they don't struggle. Their bodies are healthy. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. I mean, last night when I got home... The kids were watching the last half of, or the last little bit of Ocean's 11, 12, or 13. I don't remember which one. And I just remember knowing what I'm preaching today, you know, and trying to be spiritual. I, I was sitting on the couch going, Lord, why don't I look like Brad Pitt? <laughs> Revival just broke out on my wife's chair right there. Lord, why don't I have Brad's money? He can keep the looks, just give me his money. You ever wanted that? Asphalt was a godly man. And he says, it just seems to me, God, that they're free from the burdens that's common to the rest of us folk. And they're not plagued by human ills. Charles Spurgeon said, those who deserve the hottest hell often have the warmest nest. And I suppose there's some truth to that. Aphid looks closer and, and he sees the unbeliever has no need of God in verses 6 through 12. 
The very people who often are the most prosperous, live the most peaceful lives, are those that are the most arrogant. Look at verse 6. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They display it. They clothe themselves with violence. And from their calloused hearts come iniquity and evil conceits in their mind. No, no limit. They scoff and they speak with malice and their arrogance. They threaten the oppression. In other words, they not only have money and fame, but baby, they got the power. And they like keeping their thumb on those who aren't famous, those who don't have the money, and those who don't have the power. I'm glad that the gospel has a message for the poor and the oppressed, don't you? And by the way, this is not to say God doesn't want you to be rich. I want all of you to be millionaires and to tithe off of your, off of your millions. That is not what this verse is about. The verse is about a man who lost his focus, almost slipped because he started looking this way instead of this way. And anytime you start looking more this way than this way, you're going to slip spiritually. The problem in our day is we spend more time looking this way than this way. Man, you can follow whoever you want to on a Twitter. You can even follow Tommy Swindoll on a Twitter around here. And I don't even know what Twitter is. Let's submit it. Oh, by the way, look at verses 9 through 11. It says, therefore, their people turn to them. They drink up waters of abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Now, I don't know about you. Some of the things about this past year, just in a year and a half, just kind of bother me, and I'm... Not Republican or Democrat. I'm not throwing because the Republican president did it too and the Democratic president too. But I just don't understand why we give billions and billions of dollars to the people who put us in the mess in the first place. I don't get it. All I know is it's what verse 12 says. They always are carefree. They increase in wealth. And it just kind of... Help me out with that, Lord. There's a lot of you, I'm still praying for you, that you would get a job and have job security. And job security would benefit. Let's admit something this morning, can we? Many of us secretly look up to those who are famous and financially secure. That's why the Osbournes and American Idol and, and, and things like that are such big hits on TV. Lance Bass, who's a member, I think, of NSYNC, is planning to fly on one of the first international space stations. He may have already done it, I don't know, but it, it, because he did it, now younger kids are all of a sudden involved and interested in the space program again. You see, we're kind of jealous of those who seem to live without boundaries, of, of those who can do whatever they want. And, and some teenagers might be wondering right now, if following Christ is really worth it, why should they live for Jesus when friends seem to be doing all right without him? Maybe you're ready to cave in instead of standing up for Jesus because it might be more important for you to be popular than to be pure in heart. Maybe, just maybe. You're looking too long at the wrong things and not enough at the right things. Maybe your perception is skewed because life isn't fair. And maybe you're now a cynic. You're a skeptic. You're one of those who've lost their song. And the dream's kind of faded. What do you do? You have to try simply to keep an, an internal perspective on life. If you were to read... Psalm 73, 
And you were to read verse 1, the, the summary and the theological statement, from verses 2 to 16, it's not happy music. I'm telling you, this is like, this is like a country and western song that just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. But all of a sudden, verse 16 or 17 kicks in, and all of a sudden you hear a little rhythm of blues. You hear a little jazz. The beat comes back. The singer begins to sing again. And he says, I didn't understand it all. The wealthy increasing in wealth and, and not being sick and, and not having problems that are common to common. Man, I, I didn't understand it all till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Uh-oh, here's the perspective reality check here. Okay, the, the reality is life isn't fair. The reality is that whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you're a believer in Christ or not a believer in Christ, the reality is all people struggle. I mean, honestly, those of us who love golf, I mean, wouldn't you think Tiger Woods had it made in the shade, a supermodel and playing golf all, you know? Here's the deal. He says, until I got an eternal perspective and I understood their final destiny. And then all of a sudden, he starts making a shift from looking this way to looking this way. He's no longer looking out, but he's looking up. He's not looking at the people who are wealthy, but he's looking at the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And all of a sudden, Asaph understood that when you look this way instead of this way, it changes your perspective dramatically. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. And everybody needs a place. And everybody needs a time. And that's why we think church is so important for the body of Christ to come together, to hear and to sing the words of God, to affirm the goodness of God, and, and to understand the truth of God's word. But it's also in your personal life, away from Kirby Church. Man, you need a place where you can go that is just a little meeting place between you and God. The word sanctuary is plural, refers to holy places. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the sanctuary was a special place set with certain regulations on how to approach God. According to the New Testament, God has taken up residence within our, within our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, you and I don't have to take a pilgrim, pilgrimage to Mecca. We don't have to go to Israel. It is important because God is with us that we have some places where you can meet God again and again to gain his perspective. Let me just quickly read some verses as we kind of wrap this up. And these may or may not come up. I don't, I don't remember if I put them up there. Verse 17, again, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I remembered their final destiny. Drop down to verse 18. Surely you have placed them 
on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by their tears. In other words, Asaph is saying that, listen, at the end of the day, when they're dead and their riches are gone, they are left with nothing. At the end of the day, because I have faith in God, my riches or my wealth will be gone as well, but I will still have everything because I have faith in Jehovah God. There's an eternal perspective. He says, how suddenly are they destroyed? Drop down to verses 23 through 26. Here's the flip side. Verses 17 or 18, 19 was the wicked. Now he says, yet I am always with you. God, you uphold me by my right hand. And this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you take me into glory. In other words, you lead me with true wisdom from love and devotion and affection. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire but you. Wow, that's a shift from verses 4 through 12, isn't it? It was their wealth, their wealth, their this, their that. Now all of a sudden, hey, listen, this world's got nothing. If all I got you and your blessing and your goodness, God, we're good. I'm not bailing. I'm staying. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion. And for emphasis, he says, forever. All of a sudden, he had an eternal perspective. Sometimes I believe life is so unfair. When Corbett Wilson passed away, I said this at his funeral. And those of you who may not know, he's a longtime deacon in our church. And I just felt like there should have been bands and music and thousands of people there to honor that godly man. But there wasn't. Reminded me of a missionary couple that were on their way home from the mission field years ago before intercontinental air travel. And they were on the the ship liner coming home and on the same ship with some well-known dignitaries. And when they arrived to the port, there was music playing and there was cheering and there was confetti. And all the, the missionary was so excited. He thought maybe somebody would be there to greet them. And maybe he thought it might be, could be because they'd been so faithful to serve God. Maybe the cheers were there for him, but they weren't. The dignitary got off the ship to pomp and circumstance. And after the crowd had subsided, the missionary couple strolled quietly off the ship. The missionary looked at his wife. He was a little dejected. He said, you know, it's just not fair that the man gets all that recognition and he's done nothing for the Lord. And his wife said gently to her husband, he said, but honey, we're not home yet. And see, I believe that there will be a day when God holds back the four winds of this earth and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, comes back and takes all of us home to be with him forever. And some people get all excited about streets of gold and walls of jasper. And some people get all excited about singing in heaven's choir. And I can't even sing in our praise team. Some people get all excited about all of these parts and joy. To me, I'm telling you, when I walk in and just hear my Savior say, well done. 
well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Man, I'm telling you, I'm so glad I try to live with an eternal perspective. But let's be honest, some of you are slipping spiritually. Some of you are looking more this way instead of this way. Some of you are more cynical and skeptical in your faith than you've ever been in your life. And it's not the whole solution. It's just a starting point in the process. But, but the starting point is to start looking this way again. Verse 17. He said, till I went to the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. See, we can come to God and get our perception and our reality changed. So the question for you is, have you been slipping in your faith? It's been another tough economic year, and maybe your faith has been a little peppered with a little skepticism. Maybe you started a year with high hopes and ambitions, and, and now you're struggling just to stay on your spiritual feet. Just do what Asaph did. Just turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will look strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I want to give you an opportunity to look up. I want to give you an opportunity to change your perspective. I, maybe just if you're here and you're on that spiritually slippery slope, then let's repent. Let's head away from the slope. Let's end this year right with our eyes firmly on Jesus. Now we can all be kind of pompous here this morning. I, I know this is an issue that probably 99% of us at some point in time wrestle with, struggle with. And I don't know if there's a solid answer for it. Except the New Testament tells us by the goodness of God, many are led to repentance. But for you and I today, let's don't slip. Let's look to Jesus. Till I came to the sanctuary, then I understood. And all of a sudden, he had his song back. Because his focus, his focus was different. Would you stand to your feet? I'd just like to pray for you this morning. And in this prayer, if you want to come and just kneel at the altar and kind of, kind of have your sanctuary, your meeting place with God, that's fine too. Because I believe there ought to be many places where we meet with God. And if your heart has become a little skeptical, if your heart has become a little cynical, let's repent. If you've got some spiritual slippage going on, let's repent. If your eyes are more on the wrong things, let's repent. Get them on the right thing. Father, in a congregation of this size, I believe with all of my heart there's folks who just need to turn to you. Good men, good women, 
men and women with the character of Asaph, who love you and are raising their families the best they know how, and, and yet they just feel the pressures of all points of life, and they might even just be ready to throw in the towel. Father, my prayer is they look to you. Understand that there's a payday one day. And Father, help us to be faithful to you. It's the last Sunday of, uh, of this year. And Father, there are some folks in this auditorium who are farther away from you on the last Sunday of this year than they were the first Sunday of this year. I pray they repent and turn and move towards you. Father, I pray that we embrace all that you're doing in our heart and in our life. Don's going to sing just through the first verse. And right there where you stand, or if you want to come and kneel, that's fine. Why don't you pray? And I'll be quiet. And Don will sing one verse. Father, I want to thank you for the song of Psalm 73. Man, it's just so gritty with real life stuff. Emotions that we wrestle with. Truths that we need to hear. 
in a direction we need to look. Lord, we know that you and you alone are good. And there's a payday one day. And then, Lord, along the way between here and there, life is so full of so many blessings. Help us to keep our focus on you. To not become hardened or to slip in our faith, but to walk with surety, to walk with confidence. As you would write in another song through an artist, that you would take us to that sure foundation, that rock that's higher than I. Father, my prayer is that we all end 19 or 2009 in a right relationship with you. And we start the new year looking in the right direction, embracing your truth. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you.